SAFM Sports Wrap. Six thirty on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday edition of SAFM Sports Wrap. I'm Dwayne Delocke in for Brad Brown this evening as uh, we start talking about some of the big issues of the day, including the initial squad of Team South Africa representatives to the Rio Olympic Games. We'll be catching up with the high performance manager of SASCOC, Zero Shabango. We'll also be talking to uh, Netball South Africa president Mimi Mtefo. We've got the Brutal Fruit uh, semi finals and finals coming up this weekend, so we'll get uh, details from her. We'll also talk about. Uh, uh, Commerce Marathon, a charity foundation, and uh, give you details on what's uh, happening with uh, a bunch of riders that are doing some uh, interesting physical activity from uh, from Cape Town to uh, from Cape Town to Peter Maritzburg here at the start of the conference. And then, of course, we'll get details from the French Open. So I won't bring you any in the sports news specifically, but uh, let's start off with the big news of the day, which is Olympic governing body SASCOC announcing the initial team of uh, Team South Africa representatives for 2016 Olympic Games. 24 athletes have been named. Uh, you include marathon runners Luzabo April, Susan Zima, Lungile Gongko, uh, Irvet van Sel, uh, Christina Kalmer, and Diana Lebopalula. Stefano Marcia, Asnati Jim, and Roger Hudson will represent South Africa sailing. Darrell Olympian and Louis Mankies make the cycling team, while canoeist Bridget Hartley and artistic gymnast Ryan Patterson are included as well. Julia Vincent will turn out in diving while the swimming team looks set for medals with Olympic gold medalists Chad Leclerc and Cameron van der Berg, plus Sebastian Rousseau, Matthew Mayer, Michael Mayer, uh, Christopher Reed, Miles Brown, uh, Brad Tandy, Douglas Erasmus and Jared Krause. Football news, uh, Highlands Park cruised to a 3-0 victory over Mbomela United in the first PSR promotion playoff match at Kanyamazan Stadium this afternoon. Highlands Park taking the early lead through Rudy Isaacs, uh, Mbala scoring a second half brace. Mbomeli Sundowns though are going to be playing two of their three CAF Champions League group home matches in midweek, but they are going to begin with a potentially arduous away trip to Algeria. They begin against uh, former champions, 2014 champions, Anton Satif, on the weekend of the 18th of June. Rugby news: South Africa's Craig Joubert will on Saturday become only the third referee to officiate 100 Super Rugby matches when he takes charge of the clash between the Bulls and the Lions at Loftus. Only Steve Walsh with 111 and South Africa's Jonathan Kaplan with 107 have achieved this feat. Uh, cricket news briefly. Uh, Kolkata Knight Riders 23 for 1 in reply to the Sunrisers Hyderabad uh, 162 for 8 in the IPL Eliminator in Delhi. And cycling news, I can tell you, German sprinter Roger Kluge won today's 196 kilometers 17th stage of the Giro d'Italia. Stefan Kreisweg uh, maintained his overall race lead. That's his sports news. SAFM Sports Wrap. SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. Now, a uh, big story today is that the Olympic governing body, SASCOC, has announced the first names of Team South Africa that will participate at the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. And I can tell you we've got the SASCOC GM of high performance, Zero Shabango, on the line. Zero, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Uh, thanks a lot, Dwayne, and thanks to the listeners. Just a quick question. Was it deliberate to make this announcement on Africa Day? Uh... <laughs> Well, it was part of our plan in terms of the different announcements, and it happened to fall on Africa Day, which obviously we are celebrating Africa Day. I think that's a great omen. I really do. But uh, let's let's talk about the squad. I mean, the the, the complete squad is yet to be announced, but uh, is Saskok sticking to its precedence of quality rather than quantity in terms of uh, team makeup for Rio? Yes, we are basically sticking to... Our selection policies, if you recall that we signed selection policies with the National Federation, which we have put on our website since last year. So when we receive, because the way the selection works is that once the qualification period has closed, we will then receive the nominations from the National Federations, and we will then cross-check those against the selection policy that we've signed with the Federations, and only then 
Do we then send to our board for ratification before announcement? So hence we staggered our announcements, not the entire team, because there are other teams that are still or athletes that will be qualifying until around the 11th of July. So we will have then our next announcement for the Olympic team on the 14th of July, and then we will have the full announcement of the Paralympic team on the 5th of July. Yeah, fair enough. When it comes to uh, multi-sport events, it is always uh, difficult unless it is a little staggered. But let's let's talk about uh, the, 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 touch, the point you touched on there. I mean, a few athletes are going to be left disappointed because of limitations of the number of participants in certain codes. But, I mean, how pleasing is it to see so many athletes in events like marathon, like long jump, posting qualifying times where we could literally send 10 different uh, participants if it were allowed? Well, we are basically happy, and all the athletes know that, for instance, in athletics, you are allowed only three athletes per event, and in swimming, you're only allowed two athletes per event. So then it comes down, you know, to that time, to the distance that they will have to fight for to actually be the better one than the next um, athlete to actually make that final sport. I think one of the uh, great success stories, though, has been the swimming. Disappointment, though, is that there are no female swimmers that have qualified, but ten male swimmers, and among them, of course, two Olympic gold medalists. That must uh, be very pleasing and certainly provide a great deal of hope that we can better our six-medal hall of, of London. Well, we are hoping to better ourselves. I mean, like, we've put it out there to say the objective for um, Rio 2016 is for us to return with about ten medals. So we believe that we have the athletes that can contribute towards achieving that particular objective of 10 medals. So we are happy as well that, you know, some of the Olympians from um, London have also qualified, and we hope that more and more will qualify by the time we announce the final team on the 14th of July. Yeah, now there's a couple of new names that have started to crop up and uh, a few names that have certainly uh, uh, certainly been around for a while now. But overall, Operation Excellence obviously is, is, is behind uh, trying to prepare uh, elite athletes. How successful has uh, is Operation Excellence been? Well, we would like to believe that, you know, it has been successful. Yes, there are changes there and there which we are going to actually do an evaluation at the end of the Paralympic Games in September where we look at saying what have been the successes of the program, what are the failures, and what is it that we can bring forward. Because already, you know, when we were doing our annual evaluation since 2013, we've actually identified certain aspects of the program that we believe need to be improved. And each year, we have actually been trying to improve those. And yes, we are mindful, you know, there will always be challenges, there will always be criticism, and we take that in our stride to actually say, how do we then improve to ensure that you know, that particular criticism, we can actually do something about it. And, like, one of the things where we're saying that, you know what, we would love to allocate the full million to every athlete, but we're not able to because we try and actually allocate to a number of athletes that qualify to be on the Operation Excellence Program. And also now we're looking at ensuring that our academy system in the country actually does operate and function so that we are able to see the next year of athletes who don't meet Operation Excellence uh, get support because we had about 16 athletes in this quadrennial that were actually getting support through our National Academy Support Program because they were not meeting the criteria for OPEX. And now we're saying let's go down to the provincial academies where the provincial academies are actually looking at the athletes who are in the youth and the junior camps that are, you know, we're bringing them up for 2020 and we need to plan for 2024. Just on the point of finances, I mean, they're always cited as limitations, but give us an idea. How much does it actually cost to get an elite athlete to an Olympic Games? 
Well, basically, if you look at how we've been allocating since 2013 to date, some of the athletes we've allocated close to about a million reps in terms of, you know, even though it's split every year, depending on what the needs of those athletes are, because we sit with them and their federation and coaches to say, what are the requirements and what are the needs? And some of them now, this year, we were a bit flexible where we said, okay, if you want, for instance, to get support, in terms of that particular competition, and we're not able to cover it, some of them have opted to say, you know what, I want more money in terms of my transport, medical aid than I need for actually for food, because we cover all those aspects in the Operation Excellence Program. And some of them have indicated to say, in terms of so many training camps and competitions that I need, are we able to then move around? So we've allowed that flexibility this year to say, if we've allocated 350000 for you, as long as you actually move things within 350000 we've allowed that for our athletes. And for federations that are growing, where this year, I mean, since we did an evaluation in September, we've actually allocated about 7 million rand leading to the day. And for swimming, we've given about 4.3 million rand this year. And that doesn't include the previous years where we've allocated about 4 million and about 5 million to row yeah, and that's outside of endorsement deals and uh, it's, uh, other, uh, uh, I suppose, support aspects for the, the actual athletes. But uh, is there a, a time is against us, but very, very briefly, just a date. Uh, when are you going to be announcing the uh, Paralympic team? Uh, we're going to be announcing the Paralympic team on the 5th of July and the final team for the Olympics on the 14th of July. So that will be our final announcement. Fantastic. Zero, thank you so very for much. for the Paralympic team, we'll announce the full team. Perfect. Zira, thank you very much for your time and uh, enjoy the build-up to the Games. Thank you so much and thank you to the listeners. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's talk netball now. And the uh, top four teams in the country are going to be facing off in the semi-finals of the Brutal Fruit Netball Premier League. That's uh, in Durban from uh, Friday. I can tell you that we've got uh, Mimi Mtertua, President of Netball South Africa, on the line. Uh, Mimi, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Dwayne, and it's your listeners. Thank you. Now, this, this has been an expanded tournament this year. I mean, uh, what's that done for the level of competition? Uh, in fact, we are very happy that we were able to extend it uh, to eight weeks because uh, it's still not enough uh, to get our players to the fitness levels that are required for them to compete internationally. But uh, we are very happy, and I think the players are also enjoying uh, the, the eight weeks instead of five weeks. I'm sure they are, certainly. But uh, I, I must ask you about the uh, actual semi-finals. I mean, we've got uh, Free State Creenums who are going to be uh, taking on the Northwest Flames, and Free State have dominated netball in recent times, but uh, the Flames finished top of the log unbeaten. How, how do you see that semi final going? You know, uh, yesterday we had our press conference, and all the four captains were there, and they shared the same uh, opinion in saying that it's very difficult to uh, decide or determine who is going to walk away with the, pri- with the, the, with the gold medal. Because this year is really all the teams really lifted the level of play, including the, the, the teams that you know you know ended up last. But I'm telling you, it was so difficult for anyone to predict the scores after each and every match that took place. So telling you who is going to win it would be a lie. It would be a lie from my <laughs> side. I'm just expecting that we are going to have a edge all on on, on, on on Saturday because it will on Friday and Saturday it will 
just be uh, one of the best uh, shows of netball that we have seen in the country. Yeah, indeed. The second semi finally, uh, Hunting Jaguars are going to be taking on Western Cape Southern Stingers. Uh, but I, I want to take you to, to a friend of mine. Um, he, he attended the action, I think it was at the uh, in, indoor arena at Ellis Park. Um, it took his nine-year-old daughter along, and, and he was just telling me about how she's loving her netball at the moment, how motivated she is um, after meeting some of her favourite players and having a few pictures with them after an, <laughs> an evening's play. But, I mean, how accessible are, are the players to fans in that regard? They are very accessible, Dwayne. Uh, like, uh, we, we, we are thankful to our sponsor, uh, FAB Brutal Fruit, because they have really come up with a good strategies of making sure that the focus is on players. So, like you say, your friend took a, his daughter there, and we are inviting more uh, parents to bring their children, especially young girls. They do get the time to mingle with players. So, uh, we, we, the strategy that uh, Brutal Fruit is using, the game is brutal, and you see the posters, the girls on the posters also look, you know, aggressive. You know, that on its own is, a, is something that is a draw card for us with uh, with our fans. So I, I can really say uh, everything has improved as far as uh, branding and uh, marketing of the, the league is concerned. Yeah, it's very fresh. It's very vibrant. And as you say, there, there is a sense of, uh, I don't want to say masculinity, but there's a certain, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say, there, there is something quite in your face about the uh, the marketing. But mm. on, on the point of mm. netball in this competition in particular, I mean, uh, and also the sponsorship, Mimi, how does that impact on, on gender equality in the sport, in, in, in sport in South Africa? I think it has really improved the, the quality of netball. Like uh, we've had uh, last year three players going to play in the Super League in the UK. This year I think you, you are quite aware that uh, uh, Carla Mostert from the Crinams as well as Lenny Spotkriter from the Jaguars, they only joined the, the Premier League, uh, our Brutal Fruit Netball Premier League uh, last weekend. So uh, in fact on, the sixth, uh, on, on week number six. So last weekend would have been their second uh, week in, in our own uh, league because they've just come back from playing in the Super League. So the quality of the players that we are producing now is, uh, you know, making people, making other countries that uh, are top in netball uh, notice us and want to involve our players in their uh, high competition. So we are really, really thankful that we had this, we have this platform. I think the, the idea of having uh, the Brussels Foot Premier League or the league in South Africa was really a brilliant idea. Yeah, I, th- I think it certainly is, and congratulations certainly to those who've, who've uh, impressed on the global stage. Now, speaking of the global stage, though, Mimi, uh, you know, Nepal, South Africa have been wrapped over the knuckles regarding transformation. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing to achieve your transformation targets, and does that involve keeping the Australian coach, Norma Plummer, as coach? I think the first thing that we did, we had to look at our report and see which areas, uh, you know, uh, needed our immediate attention. And I can tell you that it's not as bad as probably uh, people would think. Uh, we, we had a meeting last weekend with the minister where he was uh, having a one-on-one with all the federations, the, the, the four uh, federations, the five major federations in the country. So he just wanted us to engage in, in how we are going to turn around the, the situation, the, the position where we are as far as our uh, not meeting target is concerned. So I can tell you that uh, the main, main thing that was raised with us is the netball in schools. We know that we are struggling to get uh, schools to run in the way that we would like them to run. For instance, 
one of the things that were key there was the issue of them having their own uh, competitions which are in no way aligned to our uh, competition. So I think that's the first area that we need to address. Also, we would like to see more schools uh, playing netball and, uh, you know, all schools, rural areas, uh, regardless of where you are. So it's our responsibility now to check how many schools really offer netball. And we also have a lot of uh, work to do as far as training the technical officials in schools, and we need to, to assist teachers to be uh, well-versed with our netball rules, with everything that has to do with running netball, so that a girl or a young boy, because unfortunately in our country, you know that uh, we've got a a democracy that says each and every person is allowed to choose whatever sports they want to to, to play. So if there are little boys that want to play netball, we would be amazed, but we are not going to shut them out. So we, we have to check how many schools are playing netball. We have to see how the structures uh, run netball in schools. And also we have to make sure that if we have clubs in the area, the clubs are, will always be the baby of the federation, but we would like uh, schools to be aligned or to be linked to those clubs so that it can be easy for us to use those platforms for training of technical officials. Okay, well, uh, quite... Uh, quite Quite a full basket, I suppose, you have there, but you've got a great deal of work ahead, but I think you are reaping benefits already. But listen, Mimi, thank you very much for joining us, and best of luck with the Brutal Fruit Netball Premier League as it draws to a close. SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's uh, focus now on something slightly different. Now, we've got the Comrades Marathon coming up on Sunday. And uh, I tell you what, there are some people that enjoy punishing themselves physically. And uh, one of those people is John McEnroe, founder of Unawaja. It's a a 10-day... 1,660-kilometer cycle from uh, Cape Town to Peter Maritzburg, and then they are going to run the Comrades Marathon on the 11th day. Well, John's on the line. John, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Good evening, Dwayne. Thanks so much. It's a, it's a pleasure. <laughs> for, those, for those who aren't familiar with the challenge, could you give us a brief description of what it entails and, and why you actually do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's, it's actually our sixth year of, of this journey from Cape Town to Peter Maritzburg, and it was initially inspired by Phil Masterson Smith, who was actually the youngest ever Comrades Marathon winner in 1931, and his nickname was Uno and he was 19 years old. But it was in 1933 when he was uh, based in the Cape, and he couldn't afford the train fare from Cape Town to Peter Maritzburg to take part in the Comrades, and such was his determination to take part. He, he got in a bicycle in 1933 <laughs> and, and covered the distance, you know, and I think that's something that all Comrades runners can relate to, the, the determination to want to be part of this beautiful unifying event and um, yeah six years ago we we followed this journey and, and since then it has evolved a huge amount to to include many many South Africans it brings many many South Africans together and we now have uh, established the Unagwaja Charitable Trust which is set up to to support empowerment programs and um, specifically focused on pre-primary and primary school education across the country and it's really growing and the support has been incredible and you know we're, we're bunking in this evening in, in the McClear Country Club um, uh, day seven of the, the journey. We've got people from all over South Africa, all around the world taking part as ambassadors of the Unagwaja uh, Charitable Trust. And yeah, it's a, it's a special movement and um, hopefully it's, it's, it's our sixth year, but hopefully this journey will continue to go and continue to grow. Yeah, you mentioned uh, not just South Africans then, but uh, how, how significant is the foreign quota? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's significant in the sense that, um, that we have storytellers and people telling the story of Unogwaja and, and South Africa all around the world. I mean, um, two countries in particular have, have established strong 
um, contributions within Uruguay end up being Brazil and and the UK, both of which are two um, you know strong um, comrades marathon nations. And uh, we've got an Australian, we've got guys from Europe. I mean, we've got people from all around the world, and it's really special for us to all come together around this journey and and ultimately be supporting South Africa. And, and that's what this this this, uh, this team is about. Yeah, but you, it sounds like you've got a, a relatively adventurous group of individuals there. But what's the dynamic like out on the route, both on the road and at the end of the day? Sure. I mean, to be honest, there's there's ups and downs, and every single year okay. there's a different dynamic, there's a different sort of team identity, but this year we've got a fantastic uh, Unagwaja captain. We, we announced a captain each year, and this year it's Nathaniel Mabetwa, who um, was born and bred in Soweto, and um, is a, just a fantastic South African. And he has a very quiet, um, dignified, and and very much leading from from the front type of um, of leadership. And he's really just allowed the team to blossom. And it's been it's been an honour and pleasure to witness. But the dynamics are great. I mean, it's like I think when we realise that our differences are our strengths is when the team really comes together. I think it's something, you know, on, on a small level applies to, to South Africa on a, obviously on a bigger level, that our, dis, our differences in our nation are actually our strength and, and should, be, should be looked at that way. John, it, it sounds like it's a physically demanding challenge. Do you, do you actually train throughout the remainder of the year for this? And are you more of a cyclist or a runner? Well, um, actually, this year I'm I'm not on the, the, the cycle team. Last year, um, I've done the cycle for the first three years, and then last year, for a number of different reasons, we, we did the journey on foot um, as well as the cycle. So I, I led a small group of people across the country on foot, and we, we did it in a month, and we all um, reunited in, in Maritzburg. And, and uh, this year we, we've, we've hosted a couple of processions where we've given the opportunity for most Africans to take part, and, and one of which is this Saturday. When, when the cycle team arrives on Saturday, we, um, we host a procession into the city hall with the, with the mayor, um, at, at midday in, in Maritzburg, and we urge all comrade marathon runners and just all people of Maritzburg, really, or anyone who can get there, um, to come and take part. And, and uh, one of the, the partner schools that we work with is a school called Umsaminga Primary School, and there's 1,260 um, learners who are going to be joining us for the, for the procession into the, into the city hall, and it's going to be a really, really special occasion. I think just a huge um, realization of the journey that we're on. I mean, the, the physical component is certainly one element of it, and at a different sort of um, uh, athleticism levels within the team, but ultimately this this whole purpose and the the journey kind of drives us forward, and uh, and we're a team, you know. Um, so so there's different forms of of preparation, I think, for for, for different people in, in the group. Certainly sounds like a rewarding journey for all the individuals involved. But uh, John, uh, hats off to uh, to you for being founder of uh, Unaguaja. I, I really think it's a it's a, it's a worthy challenge. But uh, best of luck as well in your, your closing few days, and indeed for the runners in the Comrades Marathon on Sunday. I really appreciate your support, and uh, hope to see you uh, over the weekend. You will indeed. Cheers. Cheers, Dwayne. Bye bye. This is Sport on SAFM. Every supporter's greatest resource. Just uh, leading up to the top of the hour, let's go straight over to uh, France now. Day four, Roland Garros. Chris Bowers is on the line. And Chris, uh, good evening to you. A uh, couple of South Africans in action today. Not a great day for Kevin Anderson, but uh, Rajiv Ram and uh, Raven Clarsen, how'd they get along in the doubles? They won. They won in straight sets. So they're through to the uh, second round of the men's doubles. Anderson was yesterday. Yeah, that was disappointing. I mean, he just didn't look match tight, to be honest. He played a couple of really poor sets. Rather lost as in the... Uh, 
those first two sets, because by the time he got going, he had no margin for error left. But, you know, he's got to now regroup on the grass, hope that he can pick up there, and uh, I suppose the rest of the year can only go better for him. In terms of today, no shocks, but we had a, a very near one, because we had a, a new player called Borg, not John Borg, but Matthias Borg, not very differently, but he, he was ranked 164. He took on Andy Murray, and after three sets, he was leading two sets to one and playing the most wonderful tennis. But in the end, Murray got into it in the fourth set and ended up winning his second successive five setter. So Murray threw still a fair bit of tennis on court in what's been our first sunny day of the tournament. But uh, I'm not expecting any more upsets for the rest of the day. And uh, the French Open progresses nicely. Uh, indeed it does. Chris, uh, we're, time is against us, unfortunately, but thank you very much. Appreciate your uh, updates from uh, France. I can't tell you as well, Gabrin, uh, Garbin Muguruza, of course, uh, romped a victory today. Fairly convincing. Uh, 626 love, I think it was, in the end. That's it. Uh, that's all we've got time for tonight. Now, Lady Buleo is up after the news with the talk shop, so uh, don't go anywhere. Catch more sport then to, uh, tomorrow. Between 6.30 and 7, we're going to be bringing you uh, PSL radio show Second Jolly. We're going to be talking local football and uh, leading up to the uh, PSL awards, which uh, we'll broadcast live from on Monday. But uh, from the team tonight, producer Siobhan Chetty and me, Dwayne DeLocker, have a lovely evening. Cheers. It's 7 o'clock.